All right, we're starting a new series. This is going to be the main one we do in the fall. We're calling it a letter to the Dallas Church. Shout out to Heather for the graphic, by the way. Amazing job. And I'll tell you why it's called this in a second. Why are we calling that? We're going to go through the, the book of 1 Corinthians. So a little bit at a time. Why are we calling it a letter to the Dallas Church? It obviously wasn't in Dallas. It was in Corinth. Why are we saying that? Well, I'll start by telling you this. And I, I think you'll relate to this. When I was at Chick-fil-A this week, and I go there a lot, multiple times a week, and they love me. They know me. They give me free things. And uh, I, they told me I'm going to be featured on their Instagram. I'm still waiting on that. I don't know when that's going to happen, but they told me that, and I'm waiting on it. But I go there to work on these messages because I, I get it's weird. I get more done there than I do here, and so that's where I go. And so I was there, and then there was there was this guy that came in and sat down. He was with his wife and with his kid, and they were – in this booth next to me and you know how sometimes like you're not trying to eavesdrop but sometimes it's kind of impossible like you just kind of get kind of get sucked into the conversation you know um which is probably good to know just assume people are listening to you because i was listening to them fully with no shame and this guy was i got the sense he was a teacher at highland park middle school and god bless him man you know what i'm saying like that's that's challenging and so he's there and basically, the, the whole conversation with him and his wife and his kid was about a list of problems that he was dealing with. And some of them were at the school. Some of them were personal. Some of them were with the kid who happened to be sitting right there. Some of them were with Chick-fil-A messing up their order. And I just realized, so I was like, the theme of this conversation is that there are a number of problems that they are trying to figure out. And some of them are worse than others. Some of them are bigger than others. And I started thinking about that. I started paying attention to conversations I had with people and things that I was thinking about. And I realized how many conversations and how many things I was thinking about were problems I was trying to solve, issues that I was trying to figure out, things that I was trying to deal with. And so if you think about it, if you think back to your last week, a ton of our time and a ton of our energy is spent thinking about and talking about problems that we are dealing with. And so I just want you to think about this right now because we live in a broken world where there are problems, there are issues. Every one of us in this room has things in our life that we're dealing with. Some of them are more intense maybe than others. There may be one like dominant thing that's in your mind right now. And so I just want you to think about that. Just if you were to make a mental list right now of all of the problems and issues that you're thinking about, just do that. Like just make that mental list and just start going down the list. And you can say it's probably things like school. Like there's a, there's a teacher you're dealing with. There's a class that's causing you stress. It could be overall the GPA thing, trying to get into a certain college that is causing you a tremendous amount of anxiety. For some of you, it can be, maybe it's a family relationship. Like you have a bad relationship with a parent right now, or they're, they're all over you for something and you, you want them just to leave you alone. Um, for some of you, it's a boyfriend or girlfriend situation. Like they talked to someone else this weekend. You found out about it, like that kind of thing. And so there's all sorts of things. Some of y'all smiled on that. That actually may be a real thing. I didn't know that. I'm just throwing things out there. Um, for some of you, it maybe it's a playing time situation. You think you should be getting more than you are. I mean, you can fill it in with anything. Just list all the things. And I just want you to think about what's, what's the main kind of dominant problem in your life. Like that thing you're thinking about all the time. For, for a lot of us, it might also be um, a sin struggle. There's a lot of temptations out there. 
And so for you, a problem may be, man, it's like all these people are doing this thing. And I feel like if I'm not going to be alone on the weekend, I've got to kind of be a part of it or participate. And so there's just a ton of problems and it can be overwhelming. And so one of the healthiest things to do is just to, to list them, get them out there and, and bring them before God, because he sees everything. He knows everything. This is what Winston was talking about earlier. And so why do I say that? Why do I start with this idea of let's talk about our problems that can sometimes be overwhelming. And a lot of times we keep them in because the Corinthians, these Christians who are in Corinth, they had a lot of problems also. In fact, this entire letter is basically Paul writing, addressing each one of their problems. And so everything else that, that he says in 1 Corinthians is going to have to do with problems that they're dealing with. And what you're going to find is their problems are actually really similar to the things that we just talked about, the things that we just listed. And so today, I really just want to focus on one big question, one major question. And that's this, why are we reading this letter that Paul wrote to this ancient city 2000 years ago? I just want you to be able to leave and answer that and say, this is why this letter that Paul wrote 2000 years ago, this ancient city is relevant for us. And so to do that, we're going to answer these three questions. Who was this letter written to? Who were they? What were they like? What were they dealing with? What were their problems? What does it have to do with us today? Because how many of you have read the Bible before? You've been like, okay, I'm going to start reading the Bible. And you open it up and you're like instantly confused. And you're like, I have no idea what this has to do with my life today. And, and oftentimes we just kind of quit because we're like, this makes no sense. So we got to figure this out. Wait, what does this have to do with us today? And then number three, how does he start the letter? Because I'm going to show you in a little bit, every single problem he addresses is going to go back to what he says at the very beginning. And so that's what we're going to do today. It's going to be pretty simple. Usually we'll spend a little more time in the verses. Today I've got to set up a little bit of this so you know um, what's happening. So let's jump in. Who was this letter written to? Look, look at this. This is the first two verses of 1 Corinthians. We're just going to go through verse 9 today. And so Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle, of Christ Jesus. And so this is how these letters were started in the ancient world. It starts with the author. And so Paul, if you know Paul, he used to kill Christians and now he's giving his life for Christianity because why he was called by the will of God. It wasn't his will. God called him and he saved him. And he says, hey, I'm going to give you a different purpose. And so he has a purpose. Now, why does that matter? Because the things that he's saying to you, he's saying they come from God. These are not his opinions. And so he's not just saying, hey, let me give you another take on your problems. He's saying, no, 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 I'm going to tell you what the creator of everything has to say about it. So that carries a little more weight than what TikTok is saying. You know what I mean? And then our brother Sosthenes, and I looked this up, this guy was probably converted and probably was beaten pretty severely after he was converted. And, and now he's Paul's scribe. I want a scribe. I think that's cool. Paul's telling him, he's like, hey, write this, write this. And that's awesome. I wish I had a scribe. And he says, to the church of God that is in Corinth. So a church, it's not really a place. It's a group of people that are defined by the fact that they've trusted in Jesus. So he's writing to a group of people that are Christians in this little city. It's not little. In this city called Corinth. And so this letter was written in the first century. This is a, a letter that's over 2,000 years old, which is so cool. And so when I first, I went to Vail, Colorado a few weeks ago. And I'll tell you about that in a little bit. I studied it first. I'd only been once before. And so I was like, I got to get to know this city a little bit before I visit it. And so we're gonna, let's get to know Corinth a little bit before we visit it, because we, we're going to need to know some things about it before we figure out why did he even write this letter. And so this is the largest 
most cosmopolitan city in Greece at that time. It was a center of travel and trade that attracted all kinds of people with different jobs and ethnicities. It was also filled because of that with all types of idolatry and immorality. And so tons of different gods were worshipped. Tons of different gods were worshipped. In fact, the term Corinthianize was invented. It was used to describe influencing another person to become sexually immoral. So if you Corinthianize someone, you are causing them to become sexually immoral. That's what they were known for. That's what this town is known for. In fact, the temple of Aphrodite, the Greek goddess of love, was high over the city of Corinth and over 1,000 temple prostitutes would come down every single night into the city to engage in sexual immorality between men and women, men and men, and women and women. It was a city known for sexual immorality. And so in Acts 18, this is where God sends Paul. He says, I want you to go right to this place that's immoral, that's idolatrous, and that's far from me. And I want you to tell them the good news about Jesus's love for them and that he died on a cross for. And so when he first gets there, people threaten his life and he's, he's nervous about it. He gets scared. But then Jesus appears to him one night in a vision. And in verse 9 and 10 of Acts 18, this is what he says. He says, don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent for I am with you and no one's going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. He's like, hey, I got people that I want to bring into a relationship with me. So you stay, I'm going to protect you. You tell them about Jesus. And so he stays there for a year and a half. He teaches them about Jesus and tons of people come to believe in Jesus. They become Christians. And so there was this church that formed in Corinth. Some people think it was anywhere from like 50 to 200 people. So a lot of people would say it's probably around 100 because they probably met in a home. They didn't have a building. So they probably met in a home. And so we're thinking about 100-ish people was the church in Corinth. Now I want you to think about this question. Based on what I just described of the city, what problems do you think that they dealt with in the church if they lived in that city, if they lived in that culture? Well, there was a strong desire for wealth, for pleasure, for power, and selfishness in this church, in this culture that over time infiltrated the church. And so because the city's values infiltrated the church, you saw things like division, gossip, selfishness, sexual immorality being practiced among the people who are calling themselves Christians. And so what one writer says, and I love this, he says the problem was not that the church was in Corinth. The problem was that too much of Corinth was in the church. Okay, the problem was not that the church was in Corinth. The church needs to be in the city because the church exists to bring the good news of Jesus into the city. But when the city's values overtake the church, that becomes a problem. And so a lot of New Testament churches, including the one Mark preached on this morning in the worship service, were persecuted by the city. But in Corinth, Christians were becoming too much like the city. And so Paul gets a report about this. Some people say, hey, Paul, you need to know about this. These people that you share Jesus with, they're now becoming so much like the city that they live in. And so this happened to me before, but I don't know if you have a dog that's like maybe not very well trained, you know, and maybe you hear about it and your parents are like, hey, let's just say it's a mess. Like when you walk in, you walk in the house and it's gone to the bathroom everywhere and it's torn stuff up. You're like, what's happened? Okay, you walk into this mess. That's what Paul's doing. He is walking in to a complete mess of a situation. 
and he's going to solve some problems. And that's what Corinth is. Now, here's the second question. What does that have to do with us? That's what we have to figure out. That's them. What does this have to do with us? So you may be thinking, what does a letter written to an ancient city 2,000 years ago have to do with me? Someone's literally calling me right now. That's really great time. Why would I get out of bed on a Sunday morning? I'm tired. Why would I get out of bed and come to a gathering where we're going to read and talk about an ancient letter that was written 2,000 years ago? Like, why is this more engaging and interesting than what I could actually be looking at on my phone right now or anything else I could be doing? Because these words don't just apply to people 2,000 years ago. They apply to us in Dallas today. Just like in Corinth, the values of our city, which happen to be very similar to the ones in Corinth, have infiltrated churches and Christians. And so I want to talk about that. There are so many things that we love about Dallas. There's so many things I love about Dallas. God is working in Dallas. It's a great city. But I want you to think about this. How are we actually similar to Corinth? There are tons of issues in 1 Corinthians that we're going to talk about. I would say there's around 10 main problems that they dealt with. But here's a few in Corinth that you may relate to here in Dallas today. So let me just give you a few. I want you just to think about these questions as I ask them. Are there other gods that we worship? Things like popularity, things like status, things like success, things like money, possessions, going on awesome trips, sexual pleasure outside of how God designed it to flourish, sports, looks, Do you live with this pressure in your life to succeed and have a certain image and status and acceptance with the people around you? Do you feel so busy because you feel like you have to achieve everything that people expect you to achieve and you have to live up to other people's expectations of you? See, we are chasing after the things that Dallas says are important and valuable. And while a lot of these things are good things, they're not God. They make terrible gods. They're good things, but they make bad gods. Exact same thing the people in Corinth were dealing with. See, we're not very different from them, are we? Okay, here's the second one. One of the things you see in the church that we struggle with a lot is a lot of times our hearts are drawn to a messenger instead of being drawn to the message. So what I mean by that, a lot of times we worship the preacher. We, we want to be around certain ministers. I want them to lead my small group. And it's all about being around a certain leader instead of our hearts being drawn to the message that those leaders are proclaiming. And so a question we have to ask ourselves is, man, do we love the messenger or do we love the message that they are proclaiming about Jesus? This is what they dealt with. It caused a lot of divisions. And so we're going to talk about that. Number three is sexual immorality. This is crazy. This is in the book. So I'm not making this up. There's a dude that was sleeping with his stepmom. That's in the book. Paul's going to deal with that. He's going to say, hey, heard about that. Heard about that situation. So let's have a little chat about that. Stop being an idiot. He doesn't say that, but I would say that. Um, so you, that may not be your thing, but um, sexual immorality is one of the biggest things we struggle with in Dallas. They were dealing with prostitution. They were dealing with incest. They were dealing with all sorts of sexual immorality that had invaded the church. And we deal with the same stuff today. Our city and, and life in high school is full of sexual temptation. It is full of of things telling you, hey, even though God designed this and he knows how it works best, this is how you should enjoy it. And all it does is cause problems, even though it may give you temporary pleasure. And so I'm going to give a whole week about that. But we can all relate to this, can't we? Okay, the next one 
that they dealt with that I think we deal with too, comparison, competition, and divisions. And so we constantly are on social media and we're comparing ourselves to other people. Look at how they look. Look at who liked their stuff. Look at who they're hanging out with. We, we gossip about other people. We'll like talk good to them in, in front of them, but then around other people, we try to tear them down because it makes us feel better. They did the same thing in court. So we deal with the exact same thing that they do. All right, we're, we're checking um, the, the snap map all the time to see like, oh man, am I missing out on something? Okay, they didn't have that technology then, but I guarantee you if they did, they would be using it. Okay, competition, comparison, am I missing out? They dealt with the same thing. Another thing they dealt with is drunkenness. So again, alcohol is something invented um, by the Lord and there's ways that it can be used wisely, but they were abusing it. And specifically, they were abusing it at the Lord's Supper. They were getting drunk at the communion wine. Okay, that's what they were doing. They were messed up, I told you. But we, in different ways, have used alcohol as something that it wasn't intended to do. And so we use it to find acceptance. We use it to find happiness. We use it to numb problems in our lives. And so we struggle with the same thing in our culture today. In fact, I would say one of the biggest areas that Dallas Christians, frankly, do not have any idea what they're doing is with alcohol. I think we're extremely misguided and misinformed when it comes to it. And so we're going to talk about it in this series. And so here's the question. With all of these things, um, where do we even start? This is why it has to do with us. Do you see how this relates to us today, this ancient letter? You, it, when you read it, you're going to be like, is he writing to us or is he writing to them? This is extremely relevant for us today. And so the question is this, um, where do we even start with these things? I watched a movie. I was on when I came back from Vail. I don't know if any of you have ever been to Vail. Love it. But there, the airport I flew into was an Eagle. Have any of you ever been in the Eagle Airport? It's small. And so to get out of it, you have to do a very quick ascent over the mountains. And it's a little terrifying. And I'm like good with flights. I don't love heights, but I'm good with flights. And there was one time on the flight, we were in the air. And that I've never experienced this on a flight to the extent that I did. This thing, the plane just dropped. I mean, just dropped. And I like held my seat. The guy next to me yelled an expletive. And everyone on the flight was like, <gasps> it was like this collective scream. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is it. I'm going to die on a flight. Like I, I there's going to be a report to Dallas that Will was killed on a flight. And it's going to be in Vail. And at least I had a great trip, you know. And so to distract myself from what was the rockiest flight I have ever been on in my life, I thought if I put something more intense on the screen, it will distract me from the fact that my life is in danger. And so I watched Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Great movie. And so really enjoyed this. And so there is a girl in it. I actually have a picture of her. There she is. Her name is Ilsa. That's, that's my boy Tom Cruise. And Ilsa is a MI6 agent in Rogue Nation. And basically at the beginning of the movie, you can't tell what team she's on. Because she acts in a way where you're like, wait a minute, are you with the bad guys? Then she'll act in a way and you're like, wait, are you for England? Which are the bad guys? No, I'm just kidding. They're good guys. Are you for England? Or, and then she'll act in a way where you're like, wait, are you for America? And you can't tell. And so part of this movie at the beginning, you're trying to figure out like, whose team is she on? And so I say that because that's exactly how the church in Corinth was. Is they're proclaiming, hey, hey I'm on Jesus's team. But then they're living in a way that's like, no, you actually seem like you're on Corinth's team. And so whose team are you on? And the reality is a lot of us do the same thing. If we were to look at our lives, we might proclaim, hey, I know Jesus, I'm on his team. But when we look at our lives, we might go, man, I don't know. There's some areas in our lives where it's like, I actually can't tell what team you're on. 
And so the question is, what do we do with that? If that's our struggle, and we all struggle with that in different areas, where do we start? Let me read you these verses, and let me show you how Paul starts. And I'm just going to tell you, it's not where you think he's going to start. And then I'm going to make a few observations, and then we're going we're to pray, sing, and, and be done. And so he wrote it again to the church of God, picking it up in verse 2 in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. That's weird, because they're, they're messed up. They're doing, they got all these problems. And so in this context, what sanctified means, it's not, hey, one day you're going to become holier. You're going to become better people. No, he says right now you are declared holy and righteous by God. That's a weird thing to say to people that are really messed up, isn't it? That's how he starts. He doesn't say, hey, church in Corinth who's really messed up. He says, no, no, no church in Corinth, you're sanctified in Christ Jesus. That's crazy. And he keeps going called to be saints. You're a saint. So you're sanctified and you're a saint together with all those who in every place, not just Corinth, but all over the world, call upon the name of Jesus. You, be, you belong to something bigger than you. It's called the church. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'd be like anger and frustration from will and from God, but he doesn't. He says grace and peace from God to you. Okay, what else does he say? In verse 4, he keeps going. Though he got it. In verse 4, he says, I give thanks to God for you. What? They're like messed up. They're like defaming the name of God in the city. And he says, I'm thankful for you. That's crazy. You wouldn't expect it to start that way because the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. So apparently, some people are like, man, if you keep telling people about grace, they're just going to keep sinning. Paul's not worried about that. He just goes back. He's like, hey, let me remind you of the grace that Jesus has given you. In every way you're enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you're not lacking in any gift. In Jesus, you have everything you need is what he's saying as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus. He's saying one day he's going to come back and he will sustain you to the end. Look at that word right there. Guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says when he comes back, he's going to see you as guiltless. That's a crazy thing to say to these people. God is faithful by whom you were called in the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. What in the world is he doing? Is this not a very surprising start given everything I just told you about them? He's like, hey, I'm thankful for you. I want to encourage you. I want to comfort you. I want to remind you who you are in Jesus. I want to remind you about his grace. This is so different than how I would start this letter. I would not start it with that. All right, I'll just tell you that right now. Paul doesn't start with their problems, though, and this is why it matters for you today. He does not start with their problems. He starts with the gospel. He doesn't start with their problems. He starts with the gospel. And so we use that word a lot in church, gospel, and I guarantee you if I said, hey, what is the gospel? We would answer it in a lot of different ways. And so let me just define gospel. When we say gospel, it does not mean the whole Bible. It doesn't mean everything that's in the Bible. It does not mean obeying God's commands. That's not what it means. The Bible is a specific message. It literally means good news. If you translate it, it means good news about something that Jesus did for you. And so one of my favorite verses that summarizes the gospel is Isaiah 53, six. And so you can remember this one. You can memorize it. Um, you can, you can check this out. It says all of us this is an NLT translation. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him, it's predicting Jesus, the sins of us all. This is the gospel. Is it all of us 
go astray. We do things that we think make sense to us. Even when God says, hey, that's not actually going to help you. Even if it gives you pleasure in the moment. But yet, in the midst of that, God laid on Jesus the sins of all of us. And he lays on us Jesus' righteousness in perfection. That's the gospel. See, in the first nine verses of 1 Corinthians 1, Paul says the word Jesus Christ. He uses his name nine times. He cannot stop talking about Jesus. He's like, hey, before I talk and deal with your issues, I've got to remind you about how amazing Jesus is. Why? Because the gospel, when we say that, we're talking about good news of something that Jesus has done for you. And so if I had to summarize the gospel in six words, I hope this is six, by the way. I've been public school educated my whole life. All right, God saves sinners through Jesus Christ. Is that six? Okay, y'all don't even know, so it doesn't matter. God, thank you, Helen. God saves sinners through Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. So if anyone this week's like, hey, what's the gospel? All right, God saves sinners through Jesus Christ. It's an announcement of good news. And so before Paul does anything else, he says, I just gotta take you back to this. And I have to remind you that God loves you. He's not left you alone. And he has come to you in the person of Jesus. And so it makes me ask this question. I'm like, is Paul just ignoring their problems? Like, is he faking it? Is he just like sweeping it under the rug? No, it's not what he's doing because Paul knows that once you understand how loved you are, even in the midst of your failures, can you actually be honest about your struggles and your problems? And so what a lot of us do in Dallas is we hide our sins. We're like, I can't tell other people about that. But only when you know how loved you are by God and he sees everything about you, even things you've hidden from people, your parents, he sees all of it and he loves you and sent Jesus to the cross anyway. Only when you get that will not only you be confident to be honest about your struggles, it will actually give you the fuel and the motivation to change. See, this good news changes everything because now, and I want you to hear this, now you don't have to look to all these things in Dallas to satisfy you because the God of the universe loves you and he's promised to satisfy your soul forever. You're free. You don't have to be enslaved to all these things that Dallas has given you because Jesus loves you and he's promised to satisfy you forever. This is the message that Dallas needs. This is not just the message that Corinth needs. This is the message that Dallas needs. Highland Park High School needs this message. Covenant needs this message. You can fill in your high school. This is the message that everyone needs. The idols of this world are always going to let you down, but Jesus never will. And so Paul is thankful and he's encouraging them because he knows it's a mess, but he knows that God is at work in the mess because that's literally the gospel is that God took the biggest mess and he turned it into something amazing. And so for a lot of us, like the Corinthians, our lives don't reflect this amazing truth. There is a root problem underneath all of our other problems. And I'll put it like this. When I was at the YMCA this week, as usual, I'm not going to make those jokes again. I always make the jokes about me on the bench press. And those aren't jokes. Those are real. Okay. But anyway, I was there and a fellow ripped athlete came up to me and talking to another fellow ripped athlete. His name's Jimmy. I really like this guy. He's really cool. And he came up to me and, and two just ripped athletes talking together at the Y, just like ripped athletes do. Then he came up to me and he goes, yeah, I was wearing an OU shirt um, as usual. Um, we're 2-0, and o, same record as Texas, by the way, just to throw that out there. But anyway, we, I was wearing an OU shirt, and he comes up to me and he goes, I thought I saw you in a Texas shirt last week. And I about spit my water out of my mouth. I was like, what do you mean you about saw me in a Texas shirt last week? 
And I told him, I said, Jimmy, let me, let me say something to you, all right? And I'm fresh off the bench press, the veins are popping. And I said, Jimmy, let me just say this to you right now, okay? If there are six plus billion people on the planet, right? If you ever see an individual wearing a burnt orange shirt, you can eliminate one out of the six plus billion because it's not me. I can just guarantee you that. You, that process of elimination, I'm not the guy. There's six other billion people it might be, but you know it's not me. I would never do that. And I started thinking about that. Like if I'm wearing like an OU t-shirt and then a Texas shirt and all this, that's gonna confuse some people, okay? That's what you call an identity disconnect. It's like, wait, who are you? Like, I can't figure that out. And so this is all of our problem is that Paul is reminding them. He's like, hey, like you're, you're looking like this. You're living this way, but that's not who you are. That's not who you really are. You are living, you have this identity disconnect. And so he's saying, hey, let me remind you who you really are. That's not who you are anymore. You are somebody that is loved by God that Jesus died for. That's who you are now. You're not who Dallas says you are. You're not who your high school says you are. And so your biggest problem today aren't the things that we listed at the beginning. The biggest problem is that a lot of times we just forget who we are and we don't live like the people that God says that we are. And so what Paul is saying, I want you to hear this. He's going to say every single problem, let's take your identity in Jesus and let's apply it to that problem. Every area of your life, every single area, Paul, every single area, school, school, relationships, relationships, sports, sports, temptations on the weekend, temptations on the weekend, every single area of your life, the good news of Jesus affects it. And so what do we have in Jesus? How's it affected? Let me give you a few very quick things. I'm almost to my limit here. These are five things you see in this passage that because of Jesus, this is what you have. You have a new family. You belong to the church now. The greatest privilege in the universe is that you belong to God's people that exist throughout all the world. And a lot of us don't see this as our greatest privilege. We see it as the thing we go to if we have time. And so for Paul, he's like, no, no, no. Being a part of the family called the church, that's the greatest privilege you can have. That's who you are now. That's who you are now. You have forgiveness. You are guiltless in Jesus. And you're not really guiltless, right? But in Jesus, you are guiltless. That's how God sees you. That's amazing. You have fellowship with Jesus. You've been brought into a relationship with him. You can commune with the creator of everything. Like when I was on the mountains in Vail, one of the things that blew my mind is I was like, man, the same God that created this, I can talk to him right now. I can have a relationship with him right now. You have fullness. In verses four to seven, Paul tells him, he says, you have everything you need in Jesus. And so we often live like this. We're like, man, I need this. I need this. I need this. And Paul's like, no, no, no. In Christ, you have everything you need. You don't have to be wondering, oh, am I missing out on something? Oh, if I just have that, I'll be happy. You don't have to live like that. In Jesus, you have everything you need. And then finally, you have God's faithfulness. That's how the verse ends. He promises, he says, I will always be with you. I will always do what I say that I'm going to do. And so you have people in your life who might be unfaithful to you. God will never be unfaithful to you. How many of you, like after the Florida trip or after camp, you've made promises. You're like, I'm never going to do that again. And then you go back and you do it. God doesn't do that. Even when we're not faithful to God, we don't keep our promises to him. He will always keep his promises to you. And so because of this, you can live differently because God is faithful to you. And so I want to just end by you thinking about this. 
If I had to summarize all of this, how would I wrap it up? Just like the Corinthians, we have a lot of problems in Dallas because we're, we're in a broken world. We're sinners. And so a lot of people are going to say, man, how's the gospel? How is the church relevant to the real problems of real life? And what Paul is going to say is that there's nothing more relevant than the gospel. There's nothing that is relevant other than the gospel. And this is the secret is for you not just to know it, but for you to taste it and to see it and to experience it. And so I just want to end by you thinking about this question. Have you experienced, do you really, really know the good news of what Jesus has done for you? Because if you do, that's going to begin to affect every single area of your life. Like it's one thing if I tell you, hey, the the mountain and veil, like the views were amazing. But it's another thing if you actually go on the mountain yourself and I want you to go to the mountain. And so my question is, have you been to the mountain? Have you experienced how amazing God's love is for you, that you are guiltless in him, you have fellowship with him, you have fullness in him. He is faithful even when you're not and when the people in your life are not. If you get that, that will be the most relevant thing. And so for the next few weeks, we're gonna look at these specific problems, division, sexual immorality, all the things I just mentioned. And I'm gonna show you how Paul, every time, takes the gospel and he applies it to the situation. But it all starts with this. Do you know that this is your identity? Are you living in light of it? That's where change and freedom and joy are all going to begin. God, we do thank you that your word is relevant. It's the most relevant thing for our lives today. And so Lord, we just thank you that Paul does not start to people who are struggling with problems by yelling at them, by motivating them, by giving them tips, by giving them strategies to change, but he points them to the good news of Jesus and who they are in him. And so Lord, help us hear that today. Help us not just know it in our heads, but help us experience this good news of who Jesus is and what he's done. And Lord, let us apply that to every single situation in our lives. We pray that in his name. Amen.